state. Your team. Your show. This is Sports Nightly. The triangle formation of the near side. JD's put out left. They look left. Back to throw is Adrian. He could step up and he's going to try to run for the pylon. He's to the five. He lays out. He's in. That's a two-point play for Nebraska. And they've tied this game in Champaign at 35 apiece. Now, let's check the pulse of Husker Nation with your hosts, Greg Sharp and Ben McLaughlin. TGIF, yeah. It's Friday. Friday night sports on. It doesn't get any better than that, right? Welcome to the program. Hope you had a good week. Hope you're going to have a great weekend. Only a few of these summer weekends left. So hope you get out and have a good time. Busy hour ahead of us. Our Husker huddle, which got moved from Wednesday to tonight because of the Big Ten schedule announcement on Wednesday. And this week, Jeremiah Searle is going to sit down with Prince Amukamara. Looking forward to hearing from Prince. We'll also continue our series of reports of around the Big Ten tonight, the Ohio State Buckeyes, who yesterday came out as the number two team in the preseason coaches poll. Uh, we'll uh, hear from their sideline reporter, Matt Andrews, coming up later on in the hour. But we start with Husker football. The most asked question probably I have had by far, how many folks are going to get into Memorial Stadium to watch the Huskers play this fall? I bet I've had that 50 times in the last three to four weeks. Well, Bill Moose today uh, did send out a letter to season ticket holders. And uh, both the Omaha World Herald and the Lincoln Journal Star have stories up. Capacity decisions for Nebraska football home games will be coming within the next two weeks. And season ticket holders get the option of how they wish to proceed in 2020. They can either uh, receive a full refund or convert to the 2021 season. Bill Moose conveyed this in an email sent out just a couple of hours ago the athletic department this is pretty frightening is facing a revenue shortfall of between 40 and 100 million dollars in the wake of the coronavirus pandemic the email said with the loss of two home games and certainly no full capacity at memorial stadium plays a major role i'm reading from evan bland's story from the omaha world herald uh, the message included a graphic that broke down standard annual revenue for the department as $69 million from tickets and donations, 55 from their Big Ten membership, and then 22 from sponsors. Uh, Nebraska season ticket holders, again, can get a full refund, or they can go ahead and roll it into their payment for next year. Um, they've also introduced, Ben, a campaign called Day by Day to help try to offset the anticipated deficit it asks fans to consider tax deductible donations to the Husker Athletic Fund to help support more than 600 student athletes so uh, this went out a couple of hours ago as far as the crowds Bill Moose said uh, they are ongoing talks with campus leadership and local government and health officials about this we've been hearing throughout the week different reports from different Big Ten schools about their crowd size Iowa saying they're going to have somewhere between 10 and 15,000 at Kinnick. Penn State says nobody, not going to open the gates. Minnesota thinks they'll have a few spectators in. So you're going to have to wait a couple of more weeks, Husker fans, to see what happens. The good news is in Lancaster County, they put out their weekly update today and, and very promising news. The uh, positivity rate fell to a, a pretty low number 
and uh, hospitalizations have remained steady to low for the last month or so. So those are all good signs, but uh, still no final word. And they do have that extra week because Nebraska doesn't have a home game scheduled till the 12th of September. But Ben, 40 to $100 million deficit? Yikes. Yeah, it's it's pretty massive. And I think we were all kind of expecting uh, pretty massive hits. But to actually heal, hear the amounts, hear the totals, uh, it's kind of jarring. It's kind of jarring to think how they're going to operate with, uh, with that amount of deficit. And, and really, I don't even know that they know all the changes that are going to have to happen to function on a day-to-day basis and where they're going to have to slash expenses to to meet that budget that very strict budget um you know it's it's going to be interesting to see you know what what the next couple of months does with that number does does it lower it even more does it you know maybe give them a little more cushion um you know with maybe more people in the stands than they had originally planned for i don't really know but that 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 is i mean I, i mean imagine working that with your own personal income getting that thing and i know people have out there you know gotten their income slashed to what a third a third to a half of what it's been and still trying to find a way to to get through day-to-day life and nebraska athletics as we're finding out is is no no um no different than everybody else in that regard how many times have you been asked about am i going to be able to get into the stadium and see the huskers play yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, I mean, the number one question always is, are we going to play? Like, I know, you know, like I have the answer. <laughs> um, but th- that that's usually the quick one to follow. Um, you know, that's that's usually the, the next one to come that, you know, are we going to be able to, um, are we going to be able to go to the games? And then, the, and then the, 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 the other one that I get a lot is what happens with eligibility. I mean, those are the three questions that I get on the daily uh, from different people. And, you know, I don't really have answers to any of those questions other than, you know, just what my gut instinct tells me. So there's the update, a little bit of an update from when we talked to Bill Moose a couple of days ago here on Sports Nightly. They're still working with local officials about what they can put in there. Uh, for me, I, I, you know, I've kind of felt like the high bar was going to be 50-50 capacity, so somewhere in the 40,000 range, and I may be over, overly optimistic, but maybe maybe the conditions on the ground get better as we get into September and then into October, and, and maybe it, it exceeds 50, 50 crowds for the upcoming year. We'll just have to wait and see, but no decision yet. They're going to wait a little while before they come up with that. The other thing that's really started to pop today, Ben, is you're hearing more and more college players around the country opting out for the year. We've had those that have already said they're done. They're going to go to the NFL draft and get ready for the NFL draft. Rondale Moore yesterday, Rashad Bateman, Micah Parsons. Uh, now you're hearing about guys that just say, I, I, I don't feel comfortable playing, and I'm going to opt out. We haven't heard anybody from the Nebraska camp say that. I, I would be shocked if nobody does. I would think there'll be a player or two that may opt out at some point in time. I think the NFL, their deadline to do that was yesterday, and I think it was 68 or 69 players from the NFL have opted out. It averages out to about two per team in the NFL of guys that have opted out, except for Tim's Patriots, where I think they lost eight, and the entire league is weeping uh, at the thought (laughs) of the Patriots being down eight players. Um, But also, uh, one of the guys that opted out today, Ben, was was, uh, Jackson, the quarterback at Maryland, which... He was a starter for them a year ago. He was battling injuries as well, but uh, the transfer from Virginia Tech a year ago from Maryland, he's opted out, but it looks like the Terps might have gotten some good news on a backup plan. Yeah, I talk about Loa's little brother um, was granted his eligibility, which is huge for them because, 
I mean, as Husker fans will remember, the the other young man that they like to use, LaGrange, was injured in that Husker mm-hmm. game, and you know there was no real timetable for his return. I remember four or five years ago, Maryland having to go to a third-string freshman linebacker at quarterback. I don't think things would have been quite that bad, but yeah, you better believe that that uh, all the the Terp fans in, in the D.C. area were doing cartwheels when they found out Tua Tagovailoa's little brother um, was was now eligible to play. And for Coach Loxley, man, you think about the hand that he would be dealt if if that was a no go to have to try and piece together that quarterback position where you thought you've addressed it, uh, you know, with a couple of transfers into the program with with Jackson and Tagovailoa, unfortunately. Um, 50% of that is out, but 50% of it's in. And I think you would take one for two right now if you're Coach Loxley. Sure would. It gives them now just the two scholarship quarterbacks. I'm sure they have a walk-on or two in the program as well. It reminds you of a lot of Scott Frost's first year here where the numbers just got really skinny at that position, and that is a scary proposition to have. One other Big Ten note we want to pass along to you here in the opening. Northwestern, who shut down workouts earlier this week because of a positive test, just pulled the plug on, on everything. Well, today they found out that that test was a false positive, that that athlete really wasn't positive for COVID. So they've cranked it back up. They practiced today, so the first full day of, of workouts, and the Huskers had their first workout today. Um, Northwestern was out there and, and full go. Uh, so kind of, a am sure, a sense of relief for the Cats that they were able to get going, and for that young man probably felt great to find out that he wasn't positive, that he was negative, moving through all of that. So Northwestern back out on the practice field today for the first day of workouts. We did find out today that Scott Frost will have his first press conference in over a month on Monday. So we'll have a full recap for you here Monday night on Sports Nightly. I was a little surprised that it wasn't today. They didn't have it today or even yesterday, kind of pre-camp. Uh, but by the time he meets with the media on Monday, and it's going to be a Zoom press conference, it's not going to be in person. It'll be one of those Zoom press conferences, same thing that he did with the media a little over a month ago. Uh, that'll be Monday afternoon. And by then, they'll have three or four practices under their belt as they prepare for September the 5th and hopefully playing the Rutgers Scarlet Knights. All right, busy hour coming up. Husker Huddle with Jeremiah Searles and Prince of Mucamera coming up. Right, is it Prince? Yeah, it is Prince tonight. So Prince of Mucamera coming up here in just a little bit, and then we'll continue our reports of around the Big Ten with a look at the Ohio State Buckeyes. That's all coming up here on Sports Nightly. Welcome back to another edition of Husker Huddle here presented by Sap Brothers where they say welcome, be our guest. Today we're honored to be joined by former Nebraska Cornhusker, All-American DB, Prince Mukamara. Prince, how are you doing, my friend? Just, tr- just trying to survive this Vegas heat, man. I feel you on that, man. That, we're excited you signed the one-year deal out in Vegas this year. Uh, year this is what, year 11 for you now? You don't age me, man. Ten. Ten. Excuse me. I'm sorry. Sue, Sue's in year eleven. Yeah, Sue's in eleven. You're in ten. I mean, that's double digits, yeah. man. That's nothing to. That's nothing to shake a stick at. You've had a great NFL career. I was lucky enough to get to play against you in Chicago a few times when I was up there with the Vikings. But ten years, man. What are some things that, as you look back on these ten years, that you reflect on and really felt that like helped you learn and grow as a player? Man, I think the number one thing it just has to be. Uh, taking care of my body. As soon as I got into the league, I was told to um, find a pro, kind of see how they're doing things and see what they're doing right and take things from them and 
and that's what I did. Like, um, like my first five years at the Giants, I got to see guys play um, nine plus and just seeing the importance of stretching, sleep, nutrition. Um, I mean, as much as I don't like it still, cold tub <laughs> and stuff like that. Just, just learning, uh, just trying to get a routine, a regiment going. And then off season, like we don't have Dobson um, like on our neck. So just knowing how to, if you guys don't know what Dobson is, Dobson was our strength coach, yep. um, who's also by the way. And so now it's like, do I go to a, do I go to a performance spot or since I've been lifting like my whole life, I kind of know my body and I kind of know what I need. So just having a good routine in the, um, in the off season as well. How do you manage that? Where do you, where is off season? Where do you guys go? You and your family? I mean, how does that work for you guys? Yeah. So, I mean, I kind of like, I've kind of just been doing it on my own. Uh, sometimes I go to these cool performance spots. I mean, just to kind of network, like see other players and maybe learn from that performance uh, spot and seeing like what, what they do. But for the most part, I'm just at my high school and um, and I'm just lifting and I'm just running and doing stuff by myself. Uh, I love playing basketball, so hmm. I play that in, in off season. And that's, that's a, a form of cross training. It, it works a different type of uh, conditioning and stuff like that. But I feel like it's good for a DB because I, I mean, I'm sliding, I'm staying in front of the defender and um, yeah, and I'm working those, um, those motions and stuff. But, but because I've learned to uh, train by myself and not be, and not, and not need, um, and not rely on a trainer to kind of like put me through uh, a, a workout like so when so when COVID hit and stuff like that I was I just stayed on my same um, my same routine I didn't I didn't need anybody I was independent right I mean so I know that most most professional athletes or any athlete at any elite level is very routine based and this year has been anything but routine so that's got to be big that you didn't have that but how has this year been with no OTAs especially going to a new team you signed the one-year deal out there with the Raiders how has this transition been for you where you're really not going to like step on the field for these guys for the first time until basically day one of training camp? I loved it. Personally for, <laughs> for, for, personally for me and where, and where I'm at in, in my career, I think, like you said, like playing 10 years, um, cover one is cover one, cover two is cover two, <laughs> cover three is cover three. Like the, the only thing that changes is, is the language. And so the Zoom calls, um, they helped, they helped uh, a lot and stuff like that. But for me in my, in my position, um, I feel like I, I enjoyed it. And um, you always hear that OTAs and OTAs and, or the whole off training season besides mini camp is, um, is optional, uh, quote unquote. So, yeah. but no, no one, no one would ever, no one would ever do that because it's because you would, uh, you would kind of, like you'd be looked at as like you're laying down your team or you're, or you're, um, or you're, you're, you act like you're bigger than, than the team. So to kind of experience that, like no off season, um, and to kind of have this, this quote unquote, like this extended break with, um, with your family and, and stuff like that. I mean, I think, I think it was, I think it was awesome for, for me. Like yeah. I said. 
One of, one of my favorite quotes is, I'll never forget, uh, Coach Bo, I think you were still here for this, where we were talking about the summer program, because as you know, the summer program in Nebraska is also voluntary. And I remember Coach Bo stood up in front of the room and he goes, yeah, you guys can all volunteer to not be here, but then you're going to volunteer to not play in the fall. And I think that that's, that's just kind of how Bo ran it, and that's how a lot of NFL programs run it too. I mean, there's a few guys that can miss here and there that aren't going to take dings, but probably 90% right. of the guys are going to be there every day showing up for OTAs. Well, Prince, with this little break and this extended break that you had, do you feel like you're you're more hungry to get back to football? Like, do you miss it versus kind of, I know there's always that dread to get to camp where it's kind of that like gray cloud hanging over. A lot of the guys that I've been talking to, Spencer, Qualley are like, no, I'm like ready, like more ready than I've been in the past to get back into football. Um, I think I was already hungry before just with how this offseason uh, went for me, like being released from Chicago and um, and signing a a one year a one year a one year deal to to Las Vegas. So I mean, I mean I think I've and I've always had a chip on my shoulder. So I wouldn't say I'm more hungry than I was before. But I mean, even after watching like watching that last dance with mm. like you know the Michael Jordan. Yep, that, like, I just finished it last like, night. Like yeah. Oh wow. How ironic. I wanted and to so binge just, it. Like, <laughs> and so just seeing like seeing his mindset and stuff like that like watching them like man okay I'm gonna take some of that and, and use that towards my approach to the game but um no I wouldn't I wouldn't say I'm I'm more hungrier I mean I'm excited to join the team and um and to kind of see how I mean especially in this city like we're like we're, we're like the we're, we're like the new kids on, mm -hmm. on the block here. Every, everyone's excited. Everyone wants to come and see. So, of course, um, I want like we want to perform and um, give the city some some hope in a sense. But um, yeah, I think my hunger is pretty much the same. That's awesome. One thing, I mean, I was thinking about this as as we were sitting here. You you've been able to play in a lot of different spots. You've been able to play for a lot of different coaches. What was the appeal or if there even was one to Vegas was there I'm sure you had other teams at the table but why did Vegas step out and stand out to you I think just I think it's the same reason as why why I joined Chicago like I I saw even even Jacksonville like I saw I saw what Jacksonville was uh was building there and um and then it just so I mean we we went there the defense wasn't so good um when I left uh, we were top 10 but then that year after I left, like that's when that's they should have won a Super Bowl that that year. Like they right. lost to, um, they lost to the Patriots in the um, in in the conference yep. finals. And then same with Chicago. Like saw a defense, saw a great def defensive coordinator in Vic Fangio, and um, and they were building something special. And then you saw like in our like my second year there, we we got to get things going. We got everyone excited. Um, lost first round of playoffs. Uh, we, I, I believe, we should have won Super Bowl that year also. And then, um, and then, so now with now with Las Vegas, like number one, like in the, in a great city, a city that that loves football, a fan base that loves football. And then, I mean, you have a, you have a guy in, in Gruden who's who's been there before and done it and is trying to get there um, again. And then. Um, I feel like anytime you're talking about Super Bowl and or anytime you want to build build a, a team around somebody, you have to look at the quarterback. And 
I feel like uh, we have a, a an amazing quarterback in Derek Carr, who's a strong leader, and and who can lead us there. So um, those are some of the factors. Last thought here before we let you go, Prince. As we're watching this season hopefully unfold, you're seeing more and more guys opt out. You're seeing guys saying they may not play this year. The night. I mean, what do you think? You think that this season's going to hopefully get off the ground and roll, or do you think that we might run into some issues here with COVID? Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely, I'm definitely hopeful. I saw, I saw some quotes by um, Richard Sherman, uh, with the, who's with the 49ers, and he was saying. I think I'm kind of like agree- leaning to to what he's saying. Like he's saying that that like 50 guys can get COVID, but dude, there's so many people on the couch or at home right now who's hungry. I think the owners are like, hey, let's just let's let let's put them in and stuff like that. And so I I'm leaning more towards that. Like I I can see us playing, um, I can see us playing a, a full season. But I feel like there's there's always outside pressure, and um, I mean, the government can still I think put the kibosh on it mm-hmm. and say like, hey, like like we're we're gonna shut it down, or even just like the the fan base. Um, yeah, I mean, so I think there's there's so many factors, but I think if it's left up to the owners, I think we're gonna um, continue to see ball. But like we got tested today, this was the first time we reported. I got my. Um, my antibody. I'm not go. showing off my arms, but my I got my. I had to get my antibody test. <laughs> I had to get my antibody test. Also, with the nose thing, the nose thing isn't. I don't think it's the brain scratcher anymore because <laughs> it. Everyone called it that, but it didn't. I mean, I had big nostrils, but it didn't. <laughs> it did not scratch my brain whatsoever. And so, anyways, while we were there, like the the Marlins incident was being talked about amongst players, like, hey. Like those guys are not even touching each other. Like those guys are socially distanced right. on the field in, in in the outfield. Like, like if they're getting it and they're not in the bubble, and we're actually gonna hit each other and touch each other, and we're not gonna be in the bubble. So guys are just like trying to add things up and say like, okay, it looks like we're headed towards um, a disaster. And so I mean, it's it's we're we're in an interesting time. It's it's gonna be um, interesting to to see. Absolutely. Well, Prince, we appreciate you joining us here on Husker Huddle, presented by Sap Brothers. At Sap Brothers, the top priority is keeping guests and teammates safe. Sap Brothers offering full service at the pump as our nation relies now more than ever on drivers and farmers to provide essentials to our communities. Sap Brothers is committed to serving you. Prince, before we let you go here, man, anything you want to tell Husker Nation as they're getting ready to watch you this uh, upcoming season? Um... <laughs> I mean, just I think just just go Raiders, and um, I'm I'm always gonna bleed red, and um, I'm excited for the Huskers this season. Absolutely, Prince. Well, we appreciate you them. stopping by, and we'll make sure to catch up with you soon. All right, thank you. Welcome back, Sports Nightly here on the Husker Sports Network. Big thank you to Jeremiah Searles and Prince Mukamara joining us this week on our Husker Huddle. Switching gears now, going from Nebraska to elsewhere around the Big Ten. It's our spin around the league. Tonight, we take a look around the Big Ten Conference. Brought to you by Sinclair Oil Gasoline and Oil Products. Fill up your life and your vehicle with Dino Care. Sinclair's top-tier gasoline. He dodges a guy at the one and jumps into the end zone. Touchdown, Michigan! Touchdown! Touchdown, Iowa! Stanley to a Smith, Marsh, 520, 
15, 10, 5, touchdown, Penn State, 72. Steps up, throws deep over the middle, caught, touchdown, David Bell with the touchdown. 20, Cone to the 10, Cone to the 5, Cone, touchdown, Wisconsin. Tonight, Fields is going to fling it. Fields looks, throws, middle of the field, toward the end zone, touchdown, Olave. 27-yard pass, Justin Fields to Chris Olave. Ohio State gets the first TD of the day, and their lead grows to 9-0. The Ohio State Buckeyes. And we continue our spin around the league with the Ohio State Buckeyes here to help us break down the Bucks. Our good friend Matt Andrews from the Buckeye Radio Network. Matt, first of all, i got to thank you and, the, and on behalf of the rest of the Big Ten for providing the league with something to talk about on behalf of your head coach, Ryan Day. You know, gave us something more to talk about than, than just the COVID-19 and, and, uh, and the new schedule. So I should thank you for, for, the, for the quality content that your head coach provided us. Well, Ben, it's, it's always great to be on with you. And, yeah, that kind of came out of nowhere. Um, I knew, I, I guess I knew that these coaches had been having calls and then the reports and later other people confirming that this somewhat went down. It was, was reported, but I, I don't know why team up North continues to talk. They just continue to get drilled, but if they want to keep talking, I'm sure the Buckeyes would be more than happy to continue to put points up, but uh, it is, it is provided for a little bit of a uh, little bit of an intrigue and for all of the, all of us that have been swamped down by COVID. Hey, that's not a bad thing, right? I, I mean, I, I never really intended the conversation to go this direction, but, hey, since we're already there, may as well just keep going with it. What is Ohio State's interpretation, not necessarily your own, but just the fans and the perception in Columbus about Jim Harbaugh and, and the job he's done at Michigan? Obviously, the, you know, I'm, I'm talking to maybe the most, the most biased and, and the wrong ways in Columbus, but what's kind of their interpretation of, of what he's done and, and how they feel about him being at Michigan? Well, I'll speak from what I think the fans feel. Um, you know, until he beats Ohio State, I, I'm not sure that there's going to be much validity in anything he says or does. And the last two years, he's not just lost to him. You know, Ur- Urban and then Ryan have, have hung a half a hundred and then more on them. So I don't know that there's a there's a great you know perception or thought process really of anything that he does or says. It's just kind of laughed off. Now, there's no doubt from a, from a perspective of, of seeing that program and, and, and kind of covering Ohio State and Michigan, they've won some games. Don't get me wrong. Michigan has won some football games, and, and he's done an all right job, but he's not been able to win the big game. And I think that's what everybody, until it happens, will just kind of scoff at, at the idea that there's more chatter because we're hearing, uh, we're, we're hearing a lot of late from, uh, I say of late, in the last couple of years, just about little things. It's like until you can win the game, uh, why not? Why not be, be quiet about it? But that's, <laughs> it's just kind of my perspective. Can't beat him on the field. Got to beat him somewhere else. That's the way that I. Uh, yeah. that, that's the way I interpret it. Matt Andrews from the Buckeye Radio Network here on uh, on, on our spin around the league around the Big Ten. Okay, Matt, what's what's it been like uh, in in Buckeye Land with this with this COVID, the coronavirus? We heard from. Uh, one of the one of the leaders on Ohio State via Twitter earlier today, Tough Borland, put out a statement uh, regarding the the protocols and and policies put in place. You and I were chatting earlier. It's it's becoming pretty evident which schools want to play and which schools do not. Obviously, Ohio State, one of those schools that that really want to play. What's it been like hearing from the Buckeye camp since this whole thing has started? How it's affected them on the field and even off? Well, 
we've not heard a ton, and I'm sure as this all goes uh, with COVID, we're we're going to hear a lot less this year than even if there is a season than than in the past with the way that just things are structured. But there will be uh, there will be times I'm sure when when these guys will talk and and as you said earlier today, Tough Foreman releasing the social media. Uh, you know, post it was uh, well written. We thought uh, about the season. They look, Tuff is the only, along with JT Barrett, there are two have been two, the only three-time captains in Ohio State history. So we heard from the captains. We hear from Borland in this post. Uh, clearly, Ohio State wants to play Ben. They're going to have a really good team. They feel one of the better offenses maybe that they've ever had. So while while they feel, I think the majority of these players feel safe, and Ohio State appears to have taken the proper steps during all of this, uh, they are are hopeful. I'm not sure any of us are really confident. Although I will say, when the schedule came out this week, there seemed to be you know a little bit of that. Uh, that urge and that carrot at the end, like, okay, there's the goal. The site is on now Illinois, September 3rd in Champaign. Let's do what we can do. But as you mentioned, I'm not sure anybody feels that in totality, uh, some of the, some of the programs that have had problems more than others, uh, maybe things are as good or as peachy as they appear to be here. Now, Ohio state is not releasing positive test information. Uh, that has been a source pro or con that that's been a fact for a couple of months now since this all uh came out and everybody's been able to start rejoining and working out so so that has been something that we don't really know how severe this has been now there was a pause there briefly in workouts for a week but nobody really uh knows the numbers but the feeling is that ohio state is doing everything in their power uh and along with the big 10 and what commissioner warren has set out with these councils to to have people represented and hear their opinions and you know just just to hope that we can move forward as we get closer here now within four weeks the football kicking off hopefully in the big Ten. matt it's been an interesting week around the league um you know with players making their decisions Rashad bateman uh obviously micah parsons and in, in, in the big 10 east and 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 the big one rondale moore the, the and uh, i think a lot of us expect maybe some of those bigger names to have to put out a statement either way Arguably your biggest star, Justin Fields, was asked about it and said, I hadn't really even really crossed my mind. When, when you kind of take a step back and, and analyze, you know, m- maybe it fits, you know, an individual belief system. Maybe it fits the, the belief system of, of the entire football team, as we were just alluding to. But when it, when it comes time to players making their decisions, specifically, you know, players that are going to be drafted really high, which history tells us a lot of Buckeyes are, do you think this is going to apply to anybody in Columbus, or is it just a wait and see? Who knows? Ben, that's a great question. I think there's a chance it could apply. Um, I think certainly if things get worse, it could in terms of testing and shutting down some of these programs as, as they get ready for a season. But I, I truly believe that, and we heard from Fields, we heard from uh, a couple other Buckeyes that they've not even thought about. There's there's a feeling that there are three or four first-round draft picks on the offense alone, and in Myers and Wade as well. And again, that's that's for another day. But right now, I, I feel like this team is just so focused on wanting to play that in totality, they probably have not greatly discussed individually amongst each other, maybe certainly individually and with families, of a possibility. As you said, we heard from Fields earlier in the week. He doesn't plan to. Now, obviously, his mind can change. But I think like all of this, Ben, we're just in a, such a wait-and-see mode. Uh, but, but as we speak on this day here, you know, the first week of August, 
I, re- I really truly believe from the, the team perspective that these guys are all in. And Coach Day said during his uh, meeting with the media this week that, you know, if somebody wishes to perhaps opt out, then they would have discussions and, and obviously consult with family, doctors, and, uh, and coaches as well. Camp starts this week, I suppose. Why we sh- while we're able to, let's let's talk about some of the storylines with the Buckeyes heading into next season. Obviously, Justin Fields coming back. J.K. Dobbins, uh, you know, put a stamp on on his Ohio State legacy last year. What when you look at this Buckeye team, what what stands out other than what Justin Fields can bring, and and what you know some of the major storylines are heading into fall camp, at least while we have it. Yeah, the feeling, as I said, Ben, is that offensively this could be a team better than a year ago. Um, you know, they, as you mentioned, they have lost Dobbins. Master Teague injured in the spring during the one week of camp on, I think it was practice two, uh, appears to be an Achilles, although nobody, of course, officially has said. But Teague is uh, apparently way ahead of rehab schedule. The transfer of Trey Sermon at running back from Oklahoma is obviously a huge get for Ohio State. Um, Fields says he's in as good a shape, lost the body fat, muscle mass, diet change, all of that. A very young receiving core coming back, uh, but a very talented. This was the number one receiving core in uh, in a recruiting class coming in this year. And as I mentioned, they've got a couple spots on the O-line, but they've got as much depth as they've ever had. Uh, they've got to replace a couple of spots in right tackle and one guard spot. But they figure to have well, they have a, a unanimous All-American, a Wyatt Davis returning at guard, and, uh, and a likely first-round pick and center, Josh Myers, returning as well. Thayer Munford will be back on the left tackle spot. They're as, as deep a tight end as they've been. So there are, uh, you know, uh, our good pal Tim May, who works on our pregame show, covered the Buckeyes for 40-some years, thinks this could be as good an offense as they've ever had. Obviously, they'll have to stay healthy. The backup quarterback uh, situation, a little bit uncertain, so that's something we're hoping to, to get a more of a clarification about, but uh, obviously nobody's going to see fall camp. So that it's, it's offensively a team that appears to be stacked coming back on defense. They were the number one ranked defense going into the, uh, the championship semifinal last year. Obviously, they've lost a number of key pieces, the biggest being Chase Young and then two first-round defensive back picks. Uh, But while there's still talent, they're unproven a little bit in secondary. They've got all three of their linebackers back. uh, And and Jonathan Cooper will return uh, on the defensive end, voted a captain for the second straight year. So along with the youngster and Zach Harrison and a a good bit of depth on the D-line, this team is very positive about what their defense can do under new D coordinator Kerry Combs. Always a great place to start when you're talking about storylines. If the backup quarterback battle is uh, is on one offense, that, 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 that yeah, <laughs> that, that, that was your is, And two of those offensive line spots, I think, are the biggest questions right now. Although they're very confident, the guys that they have competing for that can do a good job. Well, Matt, when you lo- we'll let you go with this one. When you look at the schedule, I think the biggest thing that stands out is is Michigan not being the last game of the year. Just for kicks, I pulled up the Ohio State. Uh, Twitter page uh, when they posted their schedule just to look at the replies and and obviously most were filled with with that comment and and that um, thing that they noticed that that Michigan is now not the uh, last game of the year rather in the middle of the season when you look at Ohio State's schedule new schedule what stands out well that certainly does Ben the Michigan game movement the Penn State game then moving back to a November 7th weekend um, uh 
Iowa at the end. I think didn't like Iowa and maybe Iowa Nebraska even swapped some spots. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, Iowa now at the end. I, I think that they could sleepwalk through their first four games and be four and zero. But that being said, the Michigan game being moved up to me, and I know you're a baseball guy too, Ben. So. So that is nothing more to me. I, like, I don't fully comprehend if you're going to move the game from the last game of the year. Fine. I have no problem with that. But, but the, just the random, if you're going to move it up to get it played, that's one thing. But if you're going to move it to like week eight, I don't understand that. Although until you look and see that that is a World Series game scheduled day, hmm. clearly Fox is going to pick that game, and clearly Fox will have the World Series. So clearly it's a made-for-TV day for Fox. Uh, beyond that, I don't know. Um, but, but it appears that that's going to be – there's no appearing. For the first time since World War II, that'll be played before the end of the year. Buckeye fans, I think, are a little rankled about it, but get over it. It's, hopefully we can play the game is what I'm getting at. Well, that and, and based on their head coach comments yesterday about trying to hang 100 on, on Michigan, I think they'll get over that fact rather quick. That should be enough to uh, – to get them excited for, for that game, and I think we all look forward to that game every year. Matty Andrews, the Buckeye Radio Network on the sidelines for Ohio State. Matty, we appreciate it, man. Great to catch up with you. Glad to hear that everybody's up there doing well, staying safe. Hopefully we got football here real soon. Thanks, buddy. Yeah, thanks, Ben. All the best to you in the Huskers. It's time for the Weekend Preview. The part of the show where we tell you everything you have to watch this weekend. Come in, watch. It'll be a good one. Sometimes we give you good advice. I could watch that all day. But we're not perfect. There were times I'm like, this is so dumb. Why am I watching this? It's the Weekend Preview with Ben McLaughlin. All right, time to knock the rust off and figure out how these things work again. I I couldn't even tell you the last time. (laughs) I put one of these babies together. I had to do do some digging in the old filing cabinet to pull the uh, pull the shell and putting this thing together. So we'll give it our best effort. That's all we can do. That's all you can do. All right, let's go ahead and start with uh, some some association, shall we? Some NBA full slate of games for you. Have you watched much NBA yet, Greg? Not really. I, I'm kind of waiting till the playoffs, which aren't far off. There's a, a battle, I think, for some eight seeds, right? But other than that, I'm just. Regular season games, I really don't care. Waiting, waiting for the uh, the old Lake Show to take things over in the playoffs. Sorry, yeah. all right. Yep. Okay, well let's jump into uh, games tomorrow. We've got a TNT triple header beginning at noon. You've got the Clippers and the Portland Trailblazers. Damian Lillard, I think he knocked down eleven threes yesterday, just utterly on fire. So Dame continues to play well for Portland. Uh, so that kicks things off at noon. At 2.30, you've got the Utah Jazz taking on the Denver Nuggets on TNT. And then your third game of that aforementioned TNT triple header, you've got the Lake Show. Los Angeles taking on the Pacers at 5 o'clock on TNT. So three games back-to-back-to-back for your uh, NBA Which Los Angeles? The Lakers. Lakers. Clippers at noon, Lakers at 5. Okay. So both of them. Okay. All right. And then we'll wrap it up with some 7.30 action on ESPN. You've got the Milwaukee Bucks and the Dallas Mavericks. So you've got four potential games on TV if you're into that for NBA on Saturday. That continues on Sunday. Game on ABC at 2 o'clock. You've got the San Antonio Spurs and the New Orleans Pelicans beginning at 2 o'clock again on ABC for that one. But then for those that have the NBA TV channel, you've got a doubleheader. You're coming your way beginning at 
5.30, the 76ers and the Portland Trailblazers. So you can see Portland twice this weekend at noon and then 5.30. And then, of course, we'll wrap it up at 8 o'clock with the Brooklyn Nets and the Los Angeles Clippers. So two games in a row for both the Clippers and the Portland Trailblazers this weekend. So I don't know how many Portland Trailblazer fans there are here in Lincoln, but if you are, you can watch them play twice. Do the Pelicans still have a shot of getting in? I don't know. To be honest, I suppose we should just pull up the standings here and and check it out. I know entering the hiatus, they were uh, one of the teams that that could kind of wiggle their way up, uh, up there. There was like three or four teams fighting for that eighth seed in the east. All right, so here we go. You've got the Magic holding it down right now, the the eight seed, and they are. This is in the east, see. correct? Yes, that's in the east. Um, oh, so we're looking at the west. That's what we want. So the west. Well, that's okay. The, that's okay. You can give me the Magic. That's fine. all right. Okay, we'll start. The east is is basically wrapped up. Um, yeah, I mean, it's going to take a miracle for anybody. The only team that can catch the Magic are the Wizards, and they're seven games back, so that's likely not yeah, going to happen. Yeah, that ain't going to happen. Not even if we go watch them at, uh, at the Verizon Center. All right, we've got – okay, here we go. The, the, the Western Conference entering today, the Grizzlies currently occupy that eight spot. One game behind them is Portland. Two games behind them are the Spurs. Two and a half games behind them are the Suns. Hmm. And three games – Behind the Grizzlies are the Pelicans, three and a half the Kings. So you've got five teams separated by three and a half games. The Grizzlies, the Blazers, the Spurs, the Suns, the Pelicans, and the Kings. Everybody else is mathematically eliminated. So five teams fighting for that eighth spot. The Mavericks are well ahead in the seventh seed. So no one's going to catch them. So you've got the five teams fighting for the one spot. And there isn't much time left, right? Isn't uh, don't they just have less? I think they have a week left or yeah, less than a week much, to go. Not much time at all. So, yeah. Grizzlies in good shape. If Portland can have a big weekend, makes those games this weekend very important. <clears throat> all right, let's go to the ice next, shall we? NHL starting on Saturday. We've got the Vegas Golden Knights and the Colorado Avalanche. All these times TBA, uh, according to the website. So we can't pencil you in there, but Vegas and. Colorado will do battle as the first game tomorrow. Tim gave you the score between Chicago and Edmonton. The Blackhawks came into tonight with a 2-1 series lead pending tonight's result. That will change either 2-2 or 3-1 with the Blackhawks and the Oilers. And then we'll finish it up with the Flyers and the Tampa Bay Lightning, the third game tomorrow uh, down in uh, in the hub. So you've got Philadelphia and and Tampa Bay, the third game on Saturday. On Sunday, we've got four games beginning with Boston and Washington, followed by the Dallas Stars and the St. Louis Blues uh, in the West, and then Toronto and the Columbus Blue Jackets. Tough loss last night for the Maple Leaves as the Blue Jackets lead that series two games to one. And you've got the Canucks and the Wild on Sunday as well. Canucks with a 2-1 series lead there. So, how much playoff hockey have you watched, Greg? And are you going to get into it and maybe a little closer that it gets? Yeah, some. I was watching today. I know today there were several elimination-type games today. I think the Islanders finished off the Florida the Panthers. Is that the Florida Panthers? Yes. Okay. They, they finished them off, so that series is over. So they're, they're, some of these series are ending. Uh, 24 teams went down there. I think 12 got buys and 12 were playing. Does that sound right? I think that's something like that. 
Uh, so you'll have six winners. I don't know. Maybe it's ten. I. It's so janky how they did it. But, yeah, there are, there'll be some series that wrap up. Some did today. Some will all weekend long. So I have watched a little bit of that. I have the, the game that I was watching the other day was uh, it was interesting the conversation they were having and I didn't even really think about this but they were talking about ice conditions with so many games being played on that ice yeah they they were talking about how huge of an advantage it is to play that first game of the day you know you think it'd be the opposite you know used to playing at night but there are a lot of teams that love playing that first game of the day because by the time that third game rolls around that that puck is moving so differently on the ice. Um, it's it's been a challenge, and I guess the the practice arenas are just getting absolutely torn to shreds, oh, and it's getting I getting bet. hard to practice even uh, with the amount of ice abuse that that it's taken taken on the uh, you know on those hubs. There's a lot of games, a lot of practices happening. So interesting well, they're playing stuff they're, in they're the playing NHL. just in Toronto and Edmonton. I think are the only two mm-hmm. places they're playing. So everything's and so then you know there's not, well there're probably a handful of rinks that, for them to practice in Toronto and Edmonton, but particularly in Toronto. But yeah, that makes some sense. Yeah. Yeah. All right, let's jump into some Major League Baseball, shall we? Some matchups this weekend. I did a lot of digging on starting pitchers and a lot of TBAs this weekend, so I'm not going to give any of the pitching matchups just because we haven't really slated for them. But uh, it's been a tough week, Greg, for aces of staffs. Mike Soroka of the Atlanta Braves tears his Achilles tendon. He's out for the year. Obviously, Justin Verlander already out. And Max Scherzer tweaks a hamstring. He only makes it one inning. And his start, he's expected to pitch again next week. But yeah, it had been a tough go for the starting starting pitchers this week. Uh, well, anyway, we'll give you some matchups here this weekend in the AL Central. The Indians and the White Sox. The Indians' offense has just been utterly putrid mm-hmm. this year. They busted out for 13 runs yesterday, but their it's offense not Carlos has been Santana's awful. fault, though. It's not him. <laughs> he had four walks yesterday. Uh, I think he was 0 for 0 with four walks. But, yeah, I mean, Jose Ramirez was hot to start. He's cooled off. He did have a couple of homers yesterday. Lindor has been mad. Oscar Mercado has been bad. Fran Reyes has been horrible. They thought that was going to be a big pickup from San Diego. Been a tough go for Cleveland. The White Sox, however, interesting team to watch. They've got a nice mix of young and old. Jose Abreu and, and Eloy Jimenez in the middle of that lineup. And, of course, the young guns, Yohan Moncada, a fun guy to watch. And, and Luis Robert, of course, is, is the next, next guy that – uh, he, they just look like bulls. They're so big. Guy who doesn't look like a bull who was on that team, a guy that we're familiar with, Nick Madrigal is on the injured list. He only made it one series before landing on the IL. Separated shoulder for him. He's out a couple of weeks for the White Sox. But fun team to watch nonetheless. Houston and Oakland. Houston, uh, man, they had a tough loss last night. They were walked off by the Diamondbacks. They had a rookie in Belak make his major league debut with a good battle with Zach Gallon, but Cole Calhoun hits an in the parker the day before and then hips <laughs> hits a walk off double uh, last night for the Diamondbacks at it uh, Chase Field. So they're gonna head out west and battle Oakland. Oakland's a, a sneaky fun team to watch. Yeah. Not necessarily because their names, but they have so many young pitchers. Frankie Montas and Jesus Lazardo, two of the you know brighter stars young stars in the league if you're not familiar with them watch them pitch they're a fun group to watch minnesota take on kansas city uh that'll be fun minnesota's offense is hitting the ball well kansas city's is not even though the royals put up uh, a bunch of runs last night against the cubs that was a welcome sight the cincinnati reds will battle the milwaukee brewers this weekend uh, the Reds with one of the better pitching staffs in the central milwaukee having a hard time getting that offense going uh, so we'll see what, what gives there with the Reds and the Brewers. 
Uh, Colorado, the Rockies will battle the Seattle Mariners. Another sneaky, fun team to watch. You probably haven't heard a lot of those guys, but Kyle Lewis is becoming a star in Seattle. I think he's batting over 400, shed long. J.P. Crawford, of course, Kyle Seeger still hanging around. Um, and, and Malik Smith, they like to run. They like to put the ball in play. And they're playing well out in Seattle, even though you may not have heard a lot of those guys as well. One series we can officially cross off is St. Louis and Chicago. So thanks a yep. lot, Tim, for spoiling uh, – have your team spoil a bunch of, of games for the rest of us. And the Cardinals continue to deal with the COVID-19 that's uh, running rampant in, in their clubhouse. This is some of the big matchups in Major League Baseball this weekend. Of course, we'll talk some golf next, PGA happening. First couple of rounds, you heard Timmy give you the uh, the updates in the first couple of sports tickers here tonight. Uh, TV coverage beginning the early coverage. ESPN will have the early coverage beginning at 1 o'clock tomorrow. They'll have it from 1 to 4. CBS will carry the torch from 4 o'clock on on Saturday. Then on Sunday, championship day, everything moves up an hour. So you go from 12 to 3 on ESPN, 3 o'clock to the finish on CBS. Who's going to win it? Um, I would not bet against Kepka, who's kind of lurking around there. He seems to have the eye of the tiger back for him. Um, so and Tommy Fleetwood may have the kind of game that can hang in there. So maybe one of those two guys wins this thing. Uh, going back to baseball, I was watching the Diamondbacks when Calhoun had the inside the parker the other night. And then on Yelich's inside the parker last night, oh, did you see Jimenez fall into the net? Well, he... He runs back to the wall like he's going to rob it. The ball lands like 20 feet in front of the wall. So then he comes racing in. The ball (laughs) drops right in front of him, and then he goes barreling into the netting. (laughs) Boy, maybe that's what it takes to get Yelich going. He was batting right around 100 when that that inside the parker happened. But, man, that was a – you could cue the circus music in left field on that one. That was something else. All right, that'll be it. There's enough there, right? There's a lot of good yeah, stuff there. Yeah, lots of basketball, obviously tons of baseball. Um, some, Golf's some first NHL major of the year. For you as well. Yep, yeah. golf. Good stuff. All right, when we come back, we'll jump into the top 25. We'll tell you who number 11 is. That's next. Sports Nightly Friday night continuing along here on the Husker Sports Network. Appreciate everybody spending part of your Friday evening here with us throughout the week. Throughout the past couple of weeks, we have been giving you our Sports Nightly preseason top 25. That rolls along as we near number 10 tonight, number 11. It's the Sports Nightly preseason top 25 tonight. Block will stay locked on 23 seconds until they snap the ball. Three wide outs to the right of Book. Ball in the middle of the field. He's in the shotgun. Jones motions out. Book keeps it himself across the 10. Five. Touchdown, Notre Dame. Number 11, the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. And our countdown moves right along. Approaching the top 10, we welcome onto the program now to help break down the next team in our top 25, the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Here to help us do it, Pete Sampson from The Athletic. Pete, first of all, how are things going, man, in, in the Notre Dame camp? I know this is a tumultuous time in, in everybody's football world and, and even just a societal world, but how are things up in South Bend and how has everybody kind of taken in the last couple of months? I think they're slightly optimistic, cautiously optimistic. I mean, they've, Notre Dame has done pretty well with the COVID-19 testing and the results. They've only had two positives uh, in about 450 tests. So I think they feel good about that. But semester starts on Monday, and that means about 10,000 people are here that weren't here a week ago. Um, so how that fits in with the roster and players mixing with students, regular students, it's uh, – 
Tentative guess. I mean, I think, you know, the Thursday news that uh, of the ACC schedule coming down, you know, I'm sure in the Big Ten it feels similar. It's like you have something to hold on to. Um, that that was sort of encouraging to actually have a football discussion. I just hope that we're having a football discussion a month from now. Yeah, you you and me both. I mean, it's nice. Yeah, it's nice to, to step away and at least talk about matchups and for coaches to you know to to get their uh, week one preparations underway at least as well. I guess Pete, the the best place to start for Notre Dame is probably before this year, the end of last year. Great season again mm-hmm. for the Irish at eleven and two. Um, let's just start first with uh, how Notre Dame fans accepted last season. Obviously, uh, on the heels of a playoff berth, Ian Book has established himself as one of the better quarterbacks in the country. How, how did people kind of take last year with, uh, w- with everything that they accomplished with another 11-win season? You know, it was, it was kind of those one of those years where I, I think Notre Dame um, got the flip side of raising the bar, uh, if that makes any sense. Like, going 11-2 and – it's a good season, right? Um, but I, I think it felt a little bit uh, hollow or empty calories, I think, for some Notre Dame fans because in the biggest spots, Georgia, Michigan, they lost. Um, you know, they lost at Michigan decisively. The Georgia game was fantastic spectacle. Uh, but uh, I think to not have one of those really elite wins on the schedule but still go 11-2, and two, you kind of felt like, okay, really good season, but – uh, if you're a Notre Dame fan, you just wanted a little bit more. So it was it was kind of an interesting season that way. I mean, you know, when Brian Kelly came here and she said, hey, 11-2 and two would feel just sort of like, okay. Um, that's that's a compliment to, I think, how much he's rebuilt the program to, uh, you know, be kind of right in that top ten group. Pete, you may kind of scoff at this question, but we had a caller actually bring up Notre Dame. was an Irish fan here in the state of Nebraska. So I'm just genuinely curious uh, to know what what is Coach Kelly's kind of reputation around South Bend is is he is he rough around the edges as he appear is it is it different when you're closer to the program what what type of guy is he both with the media with the fans and with his players I think that, I mean he's changed a lot in the last three years since the debacle of 2016 um, you know having been around him a lot you know over over the past decade I think he's he's pretty friendly with the local media. I mean, if you run into him, not that I'm running into him a lot out and about, but like he's he's a guy to just have a conversation with about anything. Um, I don't think he comes off uh, to people that know him as like this head of state, uh, the way some college football coaches are treated. Um, So I I think he's probably a much more normal guy than people know. that's been a hard story to tell because he's also a little bit uh, private. Um, doesn't really share a whole lot of personal life details about himself. But, um, you know, people that know him are just sort of, you know, interviewing him one-on-one. Very easy guy to have a conversation with. Um, you know, there's some real, I think, natural political skill, which goes back to his background in Boston. But uh, he's probably got a better local reputation than a national reputation, if that makes sense, just because the uh, – some of the red face yelling on the sidelines stays with stays with people uh, who aren't around him a lot. Bo Pelini was our head coach for uh, for a hand, for a handful of time. I think people here know that know, know that all too well with the with the sideline situation. But yeah, genuinely curious to know that. And and I'm sure, as you said, it's it's different when you're around him every day. And he's built great relationships with people. There's no doubt. Pete Sampson from the Athletic helping break down team number eleven on our preseason top twenty five countdown. The Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Uh, okay, let's start with this year's team. Obviously, the, a lot of the conversation is going to revolve around the young man that we talked about already. 
um, and Ian Book. He's he's a senior now. He's got a lot of experience. He's probably going to have to break in some parts around him, losing uh, their leading rusher from last year in Tony Jones and, and a couple of their leading receivers, including Chase Claypool and a, and a big-time tight end, Cole Kmet. When you, when you look at what's around Ian Book, Pete, what, what type of uh, pressure is on this young man's shoulders to make this thing go? A lot. I mean, it's a, this is a huge season for him because I think that um... – you know, he, he sort of got caught up in what I was talking about earlier where he just like, it was a really good year last year, but you're, you're kind of like, okay, where was that, that breakthrough win? And in the original schedule, he was going to have a chance to do that against Wisconsin and Lambeau Field and then at home against Clemson. Well, Wisconsin's off the books, so now really it's just Clemson. Um, it's it's going to be tricky for him because of what's around him. The offensive line returns in full. That's a real positive, but they lost their two best playmakers, Cole Komet at tight end and Chase Claypool at receiver. They're both second-round picks. Uh, and they have a lot of inexperience at the receiver spots. And I think at running back, they're, they're a little bit deficient in terms of raw talent. So it's, you know, can you be a great quarterback when you don't have great weapons? Would, would Trevor Lawrence be as good without Travis Etienne and Justin Ross? And, you know, you had T. Higgins. And I don't know. Um, that's, that's a challenge for Ian Book. He's going to have to lead and really bring young guys along quickly at the skill spots yeah obviously uh quarterback obviously bears a responsibility especially when you're losing weapons around you too a lot of that attention fair or not going to be turned to you let's let's flip sides of the football and go to the defense five returning starters on this side of the ball uh got a handful of guys that they'll have to replace in the secondary including a couple of safeties got a couple guys back up front when you when you start with the notre dame defense where does it start with them uh, to try and make them typically towards the top of the defensive statistics every year you know, it's it's a rebuilt defense, and it's uh, I think that this to me the secondary is my biggest concern because that there's so much communication back there. You lose uh, starting corner and Troy Pride, both your starting safeties were both captains. Um, you know, but then I asked Brian Kelly about that, and he's like, actually, the pass rush is my biggest concern. So maybe you have two large concerns on defense, <laughs> um, which you know, secondary and pass rush are pretty important. I and I have a lot of faith in their defense coordinator, Clark Lee. I think he's an excellent teacher. Uh, and he really had to rebuild the defense last year as well after they lost uh, a first-round pick at defensive end. Um, you know, the linebackers got gutted, and they were just fine last year. So I think he will get the job done. But they have a couple stars they have to rely on. Jeremiah Usu-Kormoro was, was totally off the radar. He's an outside linebacker when last year started, led the team in tackles for loss. And they have Kyle Hamilton at safety, who is a five-star prospect. And to me is, is a lock three-and-out player here. So he's going into his sophomore year. If they can get like elite NFL performances from those guys, I think the defense could be good. Um, it's just a matter of can you get the pass rush? Can you be reliable at the back? Can you find a second or third corner? Um, they're really going to have to develop a lot of guys, and having only one spring practice, that gets uh, that gets a little bit tricky. Talking with Peep Sampson from The Athletic here on Sports Nightly, I'm Ben McLaughlin. Team number 11 in our preseason top 25 countdown is Notre Dame. Well, Pete, I wish we were talking about a game that you mentioned a little earlier at Lambeau with uh, with Notre Dame Wisconsin obviously for for a number of reasons we are not you got the schedule today what when you look at what's now in front of Notre Dame with with what covid has presented us what what's your first couple of takeaways when you look at that schedule obviously highlighted by that early November game against Clemson but when you look at the at the schedule what do you see 
Yeah, I, I guess my first thing was that they kept Clemson in November. I thought maybe that the ACC would do Clemson a favor and move it up to September when the weather's a little bit better in northern Indiana. Um, I thought that Notre Dame got an incredibly favorable draw uh, that you, know, you get the Clemson game here, but then you, know, you add North Carolina and Florida State, Florida State here, North Carolina there, but you have idle weeks before both games as those Florida State, North Carolina, to be fair. Um, but it's not one of those situations where Notre Dame is going to get in a spot where they have like limited rest or somebody has more preparation than them. So it's, I think it, you know, for Notre Dame, I look at that schedule and think it's a big disappointment if you don't make it to Charlotte in the ACC championship game. And I'm not saying that at Pittsburgh, Louisville, Florida state at North Carolina are going to be easy games, but uh, it is absolutely set up for them to probably go 10 and one, you know, you imagine a home loss to Clemson, and then you get a, a rematch against Clemson and Charlotte. Yeah, a new schedule set up for Notre Dame, and looking at it, they, they should have, or at least be favored in, in almost all of those games, maybe just the one against Clemson. But other than that, they should be favored to win in about all of them. Pete, we'll let you go with this one. When you, when you think about everything that's gone on with collegiate sports and a lot of talks about you know how, many, how conferences are going to handle this, Notre Dame, obviously, everybody knows, still an independent when you look at, at, at everything, the changing landscape in college football, is there much talk about Notre Dame's independence, or is that just kind of something that's, that's uh, you know, kind of put to bed in, in South Bend with somebody that covers the team and it's not really ever brought up? Do these new issues ever raise questions about their, their conference status being an independent? Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, anytime I write something about Notre Dame and independence or conference affiliation, it's uh... – <laughs> It brings people out. Um, I mean, it's just kind of one of those things that is, it's never going away until they join a conference, which uh, I don't want to say never, but it, I think it's highly unlikely that's going to happen in the near term. I, you know, I understand why Notre Dame likes to be independent and the scheduling freedom. I think they were supposed to open the year in Ireland and end it in Los Angeles. Now that's a good, that's a, that's a nice schedule. Um, but I think it also just makes them a little bit different, which for some people drives them nuts. But I think that makes Notre Dame sort of very hateable if you're um, if you're pushing for them to join a conference. And college football is, I think, great because of the variety, and Notre Dame adds to that. So it's uh, they're going to be independent as long as humanly possible, um, and as long as they don't get squeezed out of the playoff, um, which doesn't seem likely. As long as they have a place to put their home games, NBC's not going away. I don't. It's it's hard for me to look and say like ah, strategically it makes sense to join a conference. But yeah, that's a it's a constant point of conversation around here. Yeah, well said. And yeah, the the changing times in college football. I kind of feel like we bring it up a lot here in Nebraska. I was just curious what it was like there with boots on the ground in South Bend. Well, Pete Sampson from the Athletic joining us, breaking us down the 11th ranked team in our preseason top 25. Pete, thanks so much for jumping on with us, man. Hopefully, uh, you're writing about games here in a month, and you're not writing about so. you know what the the third string safety may look like next year. And hopefully, we got some games to cover here real soon. Thanks a lot for jumping on with us, man. Anytime. Thank you. Pete Sampson from The Athletic breaking down team number 11, the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Greg, uh, obviously Ian Book is where it starts with them, but uh, a lot of lot of gaps, a lot of voids to fill after after last year. Book is really good. I love that touchdown-interception ratio that he had. He loses all those top wide receivers. That's a bit of a concern. I, you heard Pete talk about lack of a pass rush, maybe uh, a, a, a spot to keep an eye on. 
He's pretty confident that this is a team that can play for an ACC title. I don't know that I'm quite there with him. I think they're really good. I think there's a gap between them and Clemson. Are they the second-best team in the league? Maybe. Maybe they are. I don't know that I see them beating Clemson, even if they play them twice. I don't know that I see them getting over that hurdle. Yeah, I mean, a lot of unanswered questions, but I feel like a lot of the teams that we've discussed so far have those. Um, You know, it was interesting hearing Pete talk about the perception of last year, you know, 11 wins, but having that empty, hollow feeling, being uh, losses, having losses to Georgia uh, and Michigan, and, and that Michigan lost the way that it happened. I understand that, but, man, 11 wins. I think people would do cartwheels around here if they ended up with 11. I see them about 8-2. and two. Clemson and somebody else, I think, gets them. That might get them into the ACC title game. Just not sure. I think we have them about where they should be. At number 11. Good to hear from Pete. He's always great. Covers the Irish uh, incredible writer for The Athletic. We've added a text line to the sports nightly menu. It's our U.S. Cellular text line. U.S. Cellular, the official wireless provider for the Cornhuskers. It is 531-500-4686. You want to shoot us a text anytime during the show. Might even turn us into a topic here on tonight. One thing that is not new is our winners and losers for the week. All right, Ben McLaughlin, why don't you lead us off? All right. Uh, yeah, I think my winners, uh, we talked about them earlier, got to be the Miami Marlins, the way that they've somehow won games with the lineup that they roll out there. Um, just been been truly incredible the way that those guys have, have continued to fight and uh, and play. My loser of the week goes more of a tournament from last week, but Bryson DeChambeau continues to be um, <laughs> – I think I'm going to take take over Nate's Andy Fales Memorial loser of the week and turn it to the Bryson DeChambeau loser of the week. Complaining to the tournament official about ants burrowing, animals burrowing on his ball and trying to ask for a drop because he hit the ball in a terrible spot and had a really bad lie and thought he could get some fire ants and uh i'll give a i'll give another gold star to brooks kepka for trolling uh the the next day kind of hit it in a similar spot he goes is that an ant right there just <clears throat> kind of teasing him but yeah that guy just needs to get lost yeah you're just not a fan of his at all my goodness just the way that he handles himself around the golf course just grinds my gears <laughs> All right, Tim, what do you have? All right, uh, tough to follow that, but my loser of the week, Cardinals fans. Uh, are the poor best fans in baseball TM are starved to see their favorite team play because they cannot get over the COVID hump. But one day, one day, they shall resume play once again. Uh, two winners of the week, because I'm a big optimist. You guys know me. Uh, how about Roy McIlroy? Today at the PGA Championship, there was a reporter who actually stepped on his ball when he was in the third in the rough, and uh, they gave him a, a pretty good lie. That was even better than his original lie. Roy said, no, 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 that's a better lie. Move it, you know, move it here. It's actually, that actually ended up being worse than his original lie. So that's a good guy, Roy McIlroy, uh, integrity. Also, remember, guys, the, the killer hornets that were supposed to kill us all? Well, yeah. Washington yep. State officials have actually captured one of these guys, and now they're one step closer to getting to their nest and eradicating them before they can actually start reproducing. So there we go. Washington State officials preventing Apocalypse Part 2 electric boogaloo I, by killing all the killer hornets. Yeah, I don't know how, why that hasn't gotten more headlines. Yeah, it's, it's, it's scary stuff. killer hornets. Why, why is that Murder gotten hornets. pushed to the back? Why has that gotten pushed to the well, back page? They mate in September, apparently, so that could get uh, a little hairier uh, <laughs> in a few months <laughs> or in a little bit here. So we'll see. 
We'll see. All right. Uh, my winners of the week are Big Ten football fans. For a brief moment when that schedule came out, you, you kind of put all the, the COVID talk to the side, and you could dream a little bit about this matchup on this weekend, that matchup on that weekend, and we all know, we don't need to be reminded that none of this may happen. We get it. We understand that. But for a brief while, you could just kind of soak yourself into that grid, look it over, kind of play the win-loss game that we all do as schedules come out. So for Big Ten football fans, for a brief moment on Wednesday morning, uh, that had to feel good. My losers of the week, I feel awful for the young men and women in OPS, Omaha Public Schools. Uh, it came out today that they will not have fall sports. They're going to do virtual uh, school online for the first quarter, so no fall sports that obviously affects football and volleyball and cross-country uh, and softball uh, in this part of the, the state. I just feel bad for those kids, particularly the seniors, Ben, probably really looking forward to their final year of competing at the high school level. And if you're in those sports in that district, you're done. Horrible. And think about all the young men in the Omaha area that are getting recruited to play football, you know. and right. You know, that's that's one less year of tape that they're going to have. I know some of them, a lot of them are already committed, but there are probably a lot of others that are really needing, you know, a year of film to prove that they're bigger, stronger, faster, and that they've improved and needed to make those necessary changes to earn that offer. And unfortunately, they're not going to be granted that opportunity. And these sports aren't like baseball. You don't get a, a, a legion season for football. So, yeah, truly, truly uh, heartbreaking there. Just add it to the list of things that COVID has wiped out here in just the last five months since it came upon our society in March. Uh, this one's disappointing. I know there's a lot of outrage. There's a lot of anger. I'm not going to pick sides in this thing. I thought that's a tough call for anybody to have to make about whether you let kids come to school, you let kids participate in sports. It's a tough call. I just feel awful for the kids. Because a lot of them, you know, have been training during this, this summer months. They've been working out. They've been going to weight rooms and lifting. They were they were allowed into the schools, I think, for quite a while this summer to go and, and lift and, and work out with their teammates to get ready for the upcoming season. And it got announced this afternoon that that's not going to happen. That's, that's too much. All right, uh, Monday, Scott Frost will have a press conference. His first press conference in over a month. By then, the Huskers will have had three or four practices. They have on their Twitter account put out a little bit of snippet of what they did today out on the practice field, the Ed and Joanne Gas practice field. So we'll have some clips from that on Monday night. We'll continue our look around the Big Ten. We'll check in on Northwestern, and we'll also continue our preseason top 25. And Ben is so excited because Weekend Rewind is back, right? I mean, that's just, right, going to be, be looking forward to it all weekend. Yeah, how about that? Looking forward to all that coming up on Monday's show. 531-500-4686. Again, that's our new text on. If you want to send us a test, we'll write you back and tell you we got it. You can log it in your phone. Love that new option we've had here on Sports On. It's been fun for the folks to be a part of that here in the last week or so since we activated that at the end of last week. Another hour still to go.